This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Today's class is on Western civilization's war against the conscience. You see, since the beginning of time, man has been in conflict with, um, or he deals with a conflict, and that, that conflict is a with between two sides, as any conflict is. But the problem is the, this particular conflict is going on within; it's going on internally, and that conflict is the conflict between the voice of the body and the voice of the soul. Each one has a voice. Let's just take a minute and listen to the voice for a second. So take a second and a few moments, listen to the voice. I don't hear a voice. What voice? What voice is he talking about? That's the voice. And the voice is your thoughts. Your thoughts are the voice inside your head so for example who's teaching this class you might say I am but really I'm just sending out sound waves they're hitting your eardrum which is going into your mind and your mind's deciphering those vibrations as words but each person is going to hear this class differently based on your life experience so each one of us has a voice inside our head now it's important to identify that, that that's a voice in your head. Meaning you don't live in reality, you live in the voice in your head's interpretation of reality. Is that clear? That's why, we, like for example in Judaism we don't accept testimony of a witness. We don't care how smart, clear thinking, irrelevant. Because he didn't see it. The voice in his head saw it. Now, if another witness comes and says the same exact thing, okay, now we're talking about testimony. But we have no interest in one person's voice in their head about what they saw. So we have a voice in our head, and that's basically the way we're experiencing our lives. But there's two majorly conflicting voices. One comes from our most base instincts, that's the body voice, and the other is the soul voice. The body voice is the more masculine voice, whether you're a woman or a man, you have a body voice, more masculine, more assertive, wants it now, whatever it is. Usually wants two major things, which we share with the animal kingdom which is survival and reproduction. Every animal is hardwired for survival and reproduction. And so are we. Survival for us means the need for food or financial security. You know, an animal doesn't go for financial security, but we do. We, a smart person, wants to have financial security. 
Um, but it already goes all the way to ego and being noticed, recognized. All that stuff's coming from the body. That's the body voice. It wants to be recognized. It doesn't want to feel insignificant. It doesn't want to be a number. It wants to be a name. That's why we hate government offices. <laughs> they don't really care who you are. <laughs> you know, it's not their job isn't knowing who you are. You see the way some people dress, go out on the streets. You see the way some people dress really crazy, just because they're really they they really feel like no one. And so, by dressing this way, that draws more attention. That now they're someone, you know, as if that makes them someone. Now, that's the body voice, survival and reproduction. So survival is, is finance and ego and stuff like that. And reproduction is sexuality, which is you know, the other strongest human drive. The, um, the, another drive we have is um, there's kind of this entropy drive, too, of just uh, kind of disappearing, falling asleep, not getting out of bed and stuff. Uh, that might have something to do with survival too, because you gotta rest. You gotta. The problem is, is, we often don't want to get back out into the ring. You know, after it's hard to get up in the morning. You know, get back in the ring of life. Anyway, but that's it. That's the body voice. Now, the soul voice, on the other hand, is a more feminine aspect. In fact, it's called in the feminine. It's called nishama, which is feminine. And it is a uh, gentle, giving, caring, loving, sees itself as one with, one with you, one with another, connected to God. The body voice feels very distant from God. Body voice feels like if I don't take care of myself, who will? The soul voice says, the word in Hebrew would be bitachon. I, I trust God cares for me. I trust I'll be okay. I trust that what I'm going through now is all for the best. Let's create some seats here. You guys want to grab this side of the classroom? Are you all friends, by the way? Gonna pause it for Where are you from? Where have you been? Where have you been? Um, I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, yeah, just in New York. Oh, you were in New York. Yeah. What's your name again? Okay. We're we're uh, we're doing uh, <laughs> Western civilizations war against. The conscience. So heavy title, right? Anyway, so we're, we're on the soul voice here. Soul voice, as we said, is this uh, more spiritual, gentle voice. Now, which one do you think we defer to by default? The default mode is obviously the body voice. The body voice, the default mode of people. I mean, the body is what you sense the world with, with your sense of touch, taste, sight, hearing. And if you're not willing to 
deal with that conflict, chances are you're automatically defaulting towards the body, towards the ego, towards the recognition, towards the fulfillment of one's desires. And you two put it well in your letter to me. You said that, what did you say? You said the body voice wants to do what feels good. The soul voice wants to do what feels right. Something like that. It's a nice way of putting it. Soul voice wants to do what's right. Yeah, the soul voice is, has high aspirations. I mean, it's very easy. Like, let's say, let's say you see someone collecting charity, or someone comes to your door. You know they're real. They're not one of these, you know, tourist charity collectors. Um, which also, some of those are real. Like the ones at the Kotel, for example. The Kotel, you should know, spits out bogus charity people. They don't allow bogus charity people. You may notice charity people, like, around the other areas, they've, they've been removed from the Kotel. The Kotel, uh, the Kotel charity people, you'll notice often they've got a wad of cash in one hand, like more than anyone would ever carry. In the other hand, they're begging. So they're they're saying, this isn't for me here. I'm raising money for families from people from Westerners who've come to the hotel. And I've come here to. I spend a few hours of my day, you know, trying to feed families, and this is the, probably the best spot in Jerusalem to stand. The hotel. Everyone comes to the hotel. Um, but let's say someone comes to your door and they're the real deal. Now. The body voice, are you, now who would you rather see, a good friend who came over to visit, or someone asking for money? Good friend. Good friend who came to visit. Now is that the body voice or the soul voice? Body voice. Because this person who came to your door who's asking for money has just given you one of the, two of the 613 commandments. Whatever you, however you relate to this person could potentially get you infinite pleasure. Whereas if your friend comes over, you'll have it would be pleasurable to talk to him, maybe have a cup of coffee together. But it's no infinite things going on there. So this person this is a great opportunity. This guy came to your door, but the body voice isn't so happy. So he goes on, gives you a spiel about why he needs money, and and now the body voice reaches in the body. The soul voice says, "Give him something." Okay. And it's worse, by the way, when they come to your door. I'm sure you don't get these people in Sedona. What, from New York and from Israel? In Sedona? Anyone who comes to Phoenix comes up to Sedona. I know, not too many of these people even go to Phoenix. So, they come to my door, always. I'm like the door, like you don't have to fly to, fly to Brooklyn. You can just come straight to my door, you know, for your charity. And they, anyway, but the... The soul voice says you gotta give them something. And especially when they come to your door and they're like looking at your chandelier and stuff or, you know, your kids are like well dressed and fed. You, you want them to go away with a good feeling. And this isn't gonna be the one shekel. Uh, it's not the one shekel give on the way down to the coastal or something. So, the, anyway, so the body voice, let's just say though it's the shekel stuff. So the body voice says, Okay, let's see if there's a half shekel in my pocket. Thank God the fingers are so sensitive so I can feel what what kind of coin this is. Oh, oh it's got ridges. That's the ten. Okay. Is that the body voice or the soul voice? That's the body voice. I mean, what's ten shekels? That's 
What's that about? Two bucks or something? Two fifty. Two fifty. Okay. Say, oh, here's. Ah, uh, there's a shek. Uh, so the now you get the half shekel, and ah, uh, there we go. I got that that half shekel. It's got a certain feel to it. And and then, but as you grab the half shekel, you you say to yourself, "What are you gonna you gonna give this guy? A, what is that? A dime or something? Or twenty cents? Or not, not even twenty cents? About a dime? You give this guy a dime?" <laughs> This guy like just showed you papers for the surgery for his wife. You can give him a dime, cheapskate. You know. So what? What voice is that? Soul. That's the soul voice. So you reach for the shekel. Ah, here's the shekel. Okay. Again, the soul voice like, come on. You know. So anyway, that's the fight. That's the body and the soul. They're fighting all the time. Should I come to class? Soul. Nah, maybe I should just body. Come to. It's happening all the time. Should I eat a? Should I buy kosher? I'm, should I get a kosher meal right now? Or I'm so hungry and I don't. There's no kosher restaurant anywhere near here. Okay. This is, ah, you shouldn't do it. Soul. You guys got the point. But the problem is it nags. The soul voice is a nag. It nags us. It's conscious. You drop. You throw. You, you got a piece of paper. You got to throw away. And you got a little crumpled up wrapper or something. Body voice says, throw it on the floor. Soul voice says, put it in the bin. So you throw it in the bin. The soul won. Except it's a windy day and it blows out. It shoots down the street. Body voice says, forget it, you did your part. Soul voice says, go after it. You understand, there's a conflict. And then there's like real big stuff like uh, moral choices, financial moral choices, sexual moral choices. There's all kinds of like bigger stuff, bigger games. Not we're not talking about how much money you're going. Uh, Malchus, she's how much? We're not talking about how much money you're going to give to a beggar, but we're talking about the bigger stuff, bigger moral decisions that we have to make. Anyway, it's a nag. So this is what Hitler called the shackles of the of the soul. He himself called it the shackles of the soul. He knew better than anybody what the conscience was all about. He knew all about the soul. And he called it the shackles of the soul. And it's been the scourge of mankind. It's been the enemy of mankind. Because it doesn't allow you this kind of wild freedom that seems like the goal. Like we all want freedom. Every society is trying to figure out how to create the most freedom. The U.S., for example, is one of the great experiments in freedom. And freedom is often defined as do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. And the more money you got, the more you can, the more free you are, because you can really free up, because you can afford more things, more activities. Do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. But the problem is, is you have this conscience always nagging you, saying like, don't do that. So when you, when freedom is do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, yet you have this internal voice saying, don't do that. 
That's a conflict. It's a conflict and I feel I'm being limited in my freedom by that voice. So Hitler, for example, was coming to free humanity. That was his whole goal, to free humanity. You know, when people used to argue with him over this part of the war, that part of the war, the Russian front, the, the uh, you know, Western front, all the fronts, and he was focusing all his attention on the Jews, killing the Jews, they said, you're going you're gonna to lose the war. You're going to lose the whole point. He says, you don't understand. This is the point. The whole point of my war and my expansion and everything I'm doing is to free humanity. Freedom. But there's no point in having the war as long as there's a Jew alive. Because the Jews are the inventors of the soul, he thought. I mean, he he knew where soul was really coming from. He was at war with it, but but the Jew is the one who will keep putting soul into the system. The Jew is the one who won't let us forget. He won't let us forget that the soul is our ticket. The soul is the way. The soul is the path. It is the way that you will get the most pleasure in your life. It will definitely hamper your freedom. Your soul is going to get right in the way of that. Do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. It's the one that's going to kill the buzz. But it will bring you the most pleasure. And he even said, sorry to quote Hitler so much, but there's a lot to learn from a man like that. He even said that if I killed every last Jew on earth but left one baby alive, from there it will start again. I mean, he believed that we were gen- genetically disposed to bringing this soul voice back in. He believed more in the Torah than most yeah. Jews. Yeah, he believed more in the Torah <laughs> than most Jews. Yes, that's what it says. Yes, and the and by the way, many Jews throughout history, and many Jews even today, are also feeling that war and are at war with the soul. We may, we in this room may feel conflict. We feel conflicted at times. There are people who are going for war. And there are, there are Israeli factions that are at war. At war with the soul. War with the Torah institutions. At war with the rabbis. They're at war with it. They're going to try to destroy it. And it's hard to believe, but there are people like that. You hear about him once in a while. They call them self-hating Jews. Self-hating Jews. And it gets harder to say, if people don't understand, you could say something about an Israeli. There's a Jew living in Israel. How can you call him a self-hating Jew? But what does it mean? On the one, I mean, there's many definitions for a self-hating Jew, but one of the things it means, it's a Jew who's going for that, that war against the soul. And they think often that if they just push every last boundary down, if they push every last fence over, that they, that somehow the soul goes away. But it never does. It never does. And by the way, we we always have God. God's got a last stitch effort in case the Jews totally try to push it away, like they did in Berlin. Uh, you know, uh, 60, 70 years ago in America, you know, 70 years ago would have been 19, 
40? Yeah. 70 years in America, 70 years ago in America, there was no such thing as a Jew marrying Gentile. Everyone married Jews. Whether you were Reform, Conservative, Orthodox, unaffiliated, even unaffiliated. There's no concept of marrying a Gentile. In 1940 in Berlin, it was 55% intermarriage. 55% intermarriage. Anyway, but God has a last stitch way to deal with us. If the Jews really make war against the soul, then he takes away our protection and allows the Gentiles to remind us exactly who we are. It's a supernatural thing. Anti-Semitism is a supernatural way that God reminds the Jews exactly who they are. If we blow our job in Israel, he sends the Babylonians. If we blow our job in Israel, he sends the Romans, the Greeks. If we um, blow our job in exile, we get expelled, or there's other pogroms or something. But God sends them to deal with us when we make war against the soul. It's a sad that fact. The way it has to be according to God Himself. Yeah, it says so in the Torah. Yeah, so there's no way we can be other than that. No, it could be we, we do the right thing. Oh no, if we do the right thing, they would they would leave us alone. No, 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 no. I'm saying God said you're going to be a small nation no matter what. He said what we were going to be a thousand years down the way, so we're never going to be a billion people. So we're going to have to lose Jews. It is what He said. Oh, lose Jews. We have to lose Jews because this is what he said would be. I understand, but there's there's other ways to lose Jews. I mean, there's there's all kinds of other things. Natural disasters, uh, you know, like... uh, Marrying a non-Jew is easier. Yeah, Yeah, we actually... Yeah, we actually had a... um, a woman who was uh, going to be married, she was already engaged, and she she came here for three weeks. Someone coaxed her into coming to Iot for three weeks, a women's seminary. And she um, she was really turned on and went back to break off the intermarriage. And she told her fiancé, you know, it's over, I'm going to become an observant Jew. And he said to her, Hitler should have finished the job. That's what he said to her. I'm telling you, this woman's skin almost like crawled off her body. You know, she was going to marry this guy. So she came back to Israel and went back to Iyat and asked Rebetzin Weinberg, you know, what what was that? You know, like what's the story? And Rebetzin Weinberg said, she said that anti-Semitism used to be, they used to kill our bodies. Now they marry us. It's just another way, new way of anti-Semitism. Just marry them and pull them off the off the, the path. So anyway, but there are other ways to lose Jews other than that um, to keep us few in number. Uh, let's but let's get back now. Today's class is really on the history of this. I'm just kind of introducing the subject, but all of mankind's had to deal with this. Now the most classic and not even Western, the most classic original way of dealing with this was was paganism. You had a God that would sanction all behavior. There was always a God for this or a God for that. But the point of those original pagan cultures, which still exist in many aboriginal uh, societies, uh, was to sanction 
behavior. You understand? You give this offering to this God and you're okay over here. Now you can indulge. It was a payoff. Pay off this God so it doesn't get angry while you do this. Later came the giving of the Torah at Sinai. And uh, so that wasn't going to work out anymore. That pagan stuff wasn't going to work out for the Jews for sure. Um, now the only thing you could pay off would be God, except that that just God Himself throughout the Torah. We got the Torah in the desert of you know for those forty years there. Um, no payoffs here. You know, you, you just got to deal with the laws of the Torah, and you know it will be good for you. You will get more pleasure. You listen to your soul, you will get more pleasure. You don't listen to your soul, well, it also prescribes the tshuva. You do tshuva, and you, now you're back to your soul. Meaning when you breach that voice, called the soul voice, you can just do tshuva. There's a way back to connecting back with God and with the soul. But once we got the Torah, that, that whole payoff business wasn't going to work. There were times during the temple periods that payoffs were going on. People were paying off the priests of the temple, the Kohanim. There were some payoffs going on over there. So we did fall into that a bit. But in general, you got to understand, once you got this book, we do pay off. You pay off God himself. You know, God, I'm just going to say this little prayer. If you don't mind turning a blind eye to my behavior over the next few hours. You know? It's a joke. Can't do that. Once you said that prayer, you're obviously saying that God is very real and His will for you, His desire for your behavior is real as well. So you can't, on the one hand, connect and at the other hand, disconnect. I'll give you an example. Uh, your spouse, you can't expose, what's the word? Expose? Expouse. Expouse? Expouse. You can't expouse love of your spouse and then, you know, in order to buy time to go do something else. Okay? They, everyone knows that's treachery. You know, and people I'm sure are doing this. But it's treachery. That's not, that doesn't go. No difference once you have an involved creator called, you know, the God, the God of Israel. That's not an option. And for that reason, the word for Sinai is the same word in Hebrew as hatred, Sinai. Sinai is the word Sina, it means hatred. It began the hatred of the Jews. I mean, imagine, imagine uh, uh, John. Imagine I follow you around a whole Shabbos and tell you what you can and cannot do. And mostly cannot do. Because... The issue is more of the cants on Shabbos. Because the whole point of Shabbos is, the word Shabbos means to cease from doing. That's the word Shabbos. It means to cease from doing. And so what if I followed you around all Shabbos, 24 hours? You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't. And John, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You'd you want to kill me too. You'd hate me by the end of that Shabbos. You'd hate Shabbos. You'd hate me. You'd hate... But we are the you can't do that for the globe. 
And the only reason we're that you can't do that is because of the Torah. Because when we got the Torah, it said what you can and cannot do, and it's mostly cannot do. The 365, it's 365 to 248. 248 positives, 365 negatives. And they, they, the Gentiles don't like that. You know, when Chris Cross leaves his driveway on his way to church in the morning, and he's driving his, he's driving his uh, convertible down the street, and there's his neighbor Joe Schwartz mowing his lawn. And Joe Schwartz doesn't even know the Hebrew alphabet, but he exists in this world. There's still Jews named Joe Schwartz. And there's Joe Schwartz mowing his lawn. How you doing, Chris? Okay, Joe. But Chris knows his whole journey to the church is a lie because Joe Schwartz is there. The whole point of Christianity taking... They said we took the baton of chosenness as the temple was destroyed and the Jews were done in. It's over for them, Jews. We are now the chosen people. There's Joe Schwartz mowing his lawn in 2009. How could it be? Because they all know deep in their hearts. I know they ignore the New Testament, but they all know, they've all read it. And deep in their hearts, they know we're, we're an eternal nation. The Torah says we're an eternal nation. I will not transfer you out. I will not forsake you for any other people. They know it says that. That's why I always thought it was crazy that they even based themselves on the Old Testament. Because you don't want to base yourself on something that uproots your very claim. And it's a crazy maneuver, right? And it's crazy. Especially when the whole globe's pagan, except for one pocket of Jews in Israel. Like, why bother? You have the chance to be Coca-Cola. You have the chance to be Kleenex tissue. you got the name brand potential here. Why would you ever base yourself on something that uproots your very claim? Especially when it's just a pocket of people. You ever thought about that question? What were they thinking? It's like the worst marketing job ever to base yourself on the Old Testament. You ever thought about it? You hear the question. It's crazy. And by the one, one more thing, and by the way, it's pretty... It, it was bad news for us, too, because they've been killing us ever since... You know, for having killed their God and the whole thing, and you know, like the we're we're like it would have been a lot better for us had they been Kleenex tissue or Coca Cola or something. You know, why they chose them choosing Pep to be Pepsi has been really bad news for the Jews. Malka, you're saying. They didn't have any frame, other frame of reference for monotheism. That might be true as well. Um, oh, it was Jewish. And they, were, they themselves were Jews. They, they just, I think it was they wanted to bring something to the masses. And this was there. Judaism is not good for the masses. Right. It's very, you can't have the mass followers, so they just kind of made it Judaism Coke light. Coke light, took it out there, and they... Coke light. At the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's done some great things for the world. Uh-huh. Diet, diet Coke. I mean, I mean, do you agree or not? No, you're very accurate. You're very accurate. But they, the, I, I would argue that the main reason, I just feel it's a powerful point, so I want to give it, the main reason they chose 
to to base themselves on such a delegitimizing uh, source because it delegitimizes them. The reason that they did it was because in that period of time, whether you were pagan or Jew, in this whole region, which was really where people were civilizing, in this whole region, the Sinai experience was incontrovertible. It was way too close to it. You know, like it's like now, try to argue that George Washington wasn't the President of the United States. You, you can't. There's too much consensus right now. Give it a few hundred years. You might be able to pull off a whole conspiracy thing about George Washington actually never even having been president. But right now it's too fresh. Sinai was too fresh in the world. You didn't have to be a Jew to know Sinai happened. The pagans all knew about Sinai. Everyone knew. So you couldn't just start something new, even though the Jews were just a small pocket. You couldn't start this whole thing because everyone knew about Sinai. Today, already now it's already 3,321 years later. And one week uh, later, now people are like, oh, did it really happen? But back then you couldn't have argued it. And by the way, even when Islam started in the 700s, common era, it still was incontrovertible because they themselves could have said, you know, ah, it's a bunch of malarkey. See, today people actually start things that start fresh because, you know, it's just been a while already. So you can just start your new thing, start your new kind of crazy cult. It's available now because people are already like... Also, not to mention that science tried to uproot the whole stuff, the whole thing for the last, like, hundred years. Of course, today, that doesn't go over so well because, because science and Torah and Kabbalah are very much, uh, they have a lot in common. All right, so um, let's, let's uh, back things up now. So we had the pagans. Pagans' war against conscience was paying off the gods. Then we had Sinai. So as long as you were in touch with the Jews, it wasn't possible. And as Jesse said, the Christians kind of did the Diet Coke idea, Islam as well. And they spread the word, usually through violence, but they did spread the word, and, and it got all around the globe, pretty much. Plenty of aboriginal cultures didn't get it, eastern traditions didn't get it, but, the, uh, but many people did. But you, what you'll find is that, you know, so let's say we got the Jews, they're clearly not trying to make war with the conscience. Got pagans. Then Christianity started and it got really big. But have you ever thought about the fact that maybe even Christianity is part of the Western civilization's war against the soul? Even Christianity? Think about what's the most important basic tenet in Christianity? Jesus died. What about Jesus? He died for your sins. You know what that means? What do you get to do now? Anything you want. <laughs> he died for your sins. So you just live your life and all you got to do is believe and, you know, try to go to confession once in a while. But the bottom line is, is he died for your sins, which means you're off the hook. Meaning it was one of the more ingenious methods that Westerners used against the soul, against the conscience. 
a blanket pardon for your behavior. Now, it's not that they're saying go be an animal. They were saying be good. Be good. But in case that body soul, that body voice runs your life, you know, what can I do? The temptation was too strong. Must have been the devil. So, you always have JC for you. He died for your sins. So say three Hail Marys and call me in the morning. I'm done. So you see that there are even, even the religions in Western civilization were there to take care of these issues. Uh, eventually, in the 17th century or 18th century, 18th century, 19th century, in the 1800s, uh, there was the Enlightenment movement which was really uh, pulling the world out of the dark ages. And um, it really took Europe out from under the thumb of the church. And people really freed up. The church was kind of like in wrestling, like if you hold someone down, church kind of held down civilization for a good thousand years. I, I have this whole theory that we should have had cell phones in year 200 common era. Because had you just let the, let the Greeks do their thing, you know, and or the Romans, anyone, just let them just do their thing and keep up their development. Because the uh, the when the Romans married the church for power, the Holy Roman Empire, the it was kind of a lockdown on development of Western civilization. Uh, until the Enlightenment movement, until really the Industrial Revolution, and which led to the Enlightenment, and then the Greeks were like kind of back in the Western Civ was back to their true colors. Again, they were back in business, and so it took a couple hundred years for cell phones to develop. But you know, who says cell phones should only have come around now? They should, maybe they were supposed to come around in year. They could have not supposed to. In retrospect, obviously, it was supposed to be now, but could have come around year 200 who knows what we'd be doing now now you could just like press a button and be across the world or something yeah who needs airplanes those are dangerous yeah. well, they're not really dangerous but they just seem dangerous they feel dangerous okay um Anyway, so it comes along the Enlightenment, get out from under the thumb of the church, out from under the thumb of God, and Jews went for it too. Jews went head over heels for the Enlightenment. You know, they really tried to leave the fold at that point, and did, and they did leave the fold in big numbers. But now, we're back to our conscience. If you don't, if you try to get out from under the thumb of the church, and you don't have JC having died for your sins, or you've now left the path of Torah and now you're just doing whatever you want well guess what's coming back who's knocking on your door the conscience we got our conscience what are we going to do now comes along a man by the name of Darwin I've got the answer there is no soul there is no God. We are the result. We, we come from algae. You know, and algae became ferns, and ferns became 
I don't remember the whole thing. I studied paleontology at university, but that was quite some time ago. Anyone know what ferns became? I don't know. Anyway, everything became something and became, you know, eventually it became a salamander or something. And it became a rat. I don't know what it became. A, eventually it became a monkey and then it became a, a gorilla or an orangutan and, and then it became a human being. So you're off the hook. Do whatever you want. Now, uh, of course, that didn't work so well. Uh, but it worked pretty good. That was the whole scientific era. You don't have to worry about your morality. Because after all, we're, uh, we're all just, you know, we, we come from algae. We're not from God. And that should have worked. Would have worked. Uh, but the Jew remains. The Jew remains. And there were areas where we were quite populated, populous. And as long as the Jew remained, it was very hard to be a Darwinist. Especially when there were observant Jews. Um, there were parts of the globe that didn't have Jews around and they didn't have as big an issue, but people who had Jews around had the, the issue. The Jew being around is it's a problem. Problem with it. If you want to say there's no conscience, there's no God, there's no creator. So it's a little tough when you got a neighbor named Joe Schwartz. Especially if he, Joe Schwartz wearing a keep on praise and actually knows what he's talking about and, and talks a lot about God all the time and has all kinds of proofs that God exists and gets difficult. Now, when the Jews were making their own war against God in, the, in Germany in the, in the 30s, the 40s, and made it to high society, um, that left an opening uh, for Hitler to rise. I'm not saying God made the Holocaust happen. I'm sorry. I'm not saying that Jewish behavior caused the Holocaust. You know, some people like to say stuff like that. Jewish behavior caused the Holocaust. It upsets a lot of people when you say things like that. Um, I'm not even saying that. I believe the Holocaust was caused by evil people using their free will. You could say God made the Holocaust because he gave free will. Now people use the free will against the Jews, the conscience of humanity. But I really believe that what caused the Holocaust was free will. Evil people's using power to kill lots of Jews and lots of other people as well. But it was really caused by free will. Jewish behavior created the opening for Hitler to rise. That's all. The world runs through nature, but once in a while something supernatural happens. Like, for example, Hitler, who was the biggest loser, if you follow his career, he was just a loser. I think he was like an art school dropout or something. You know? He was just a loser guy. Wound up in jail for like something else stupid. He was just a loser. But he had the genetic makeup of Amalek. 
to destroy God in this world. Now, there's plenty of wingnuts around even like that now. How did Jewish behavior make it open for the when the Jews decide to like take off their Judaism, like somehow surgically re- reconstruct their foreskin, so to speak, they um, they uh, then God says, you know, what, God, so to speak, turns his back for a second, for a second, and allows something to come in to really freak out the Jews, but. Then again, it's a nat- God created the world naturally. So if that person gets to power, now it could be bad news. But it's going to be his. It's going to be man's free will. We're isolating Jewish behavior in Germany versus Jewish behavior in Poland, which is very good. And then that's why I'm saying. That's why I'm saying that all the Jewish behavior did was allowed for a Hitler to rise. Once Hitler rose, now it was a matter of armies going at, going into, storming into Poland and stuff. And evil generally goes after good, by the way. They're evil, and they went after the good. And the good were the Jews of Poland, or the very holy Jews of Ukraine, and various other areas, Lithuanian Jews. Anyway, but that that's the idea. The idea is... Um, is that it allowed for the rise of Hitler. Now, Hitler himself was what's called a social Darwinist. Survival of the fittest. He came to use the same concept, the survival of the fittest in mankind. And the Jew is the weakest link. The Jew is proposing that people should be givers. Chesed, tzedakah, soul voice, giving. And Hitler said, that only weakens you to give. He was a social Darwinist. Survival of the fittest. The fittest is the strongest. The strongest might makes right. That was a social Darwinist. Was might makes right. The Arabs today still live by might makes right. The Arab countries. They still live by that. Whereas the Jews said through wisdom, through caring, through understanding, through compromise, we will come to wholeness. And that was a problem. That was a problem for the social Darwinists. And mostly, as we've said, it was the conscience that Jews introduced by their very existence. The conscience that the Jews represent is the was the biggest problem for Western man, and Hitler came to rid the world of that conscience. Okay, so the Holocaust happened, World War II, it ended, and now we're back to the Enlightenment, and the way society lives now is just like that: technology, industrial revolution, Enlightenment. Do whatever we want, whenever we want to do it. Freedom. The definition of Western freedom is do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. Today they have it on Coke machines. If it feels good, do it. Spoil yourself. Right? You know those classic 
line. I, I hear it all the time. You know, when I'm visiting America and I'm and I'm wondering, should I get a massage now, or should I, you know, because I let's say in Denver, I've been writing all morning, and now I got a day of teaching, and you know, I, I need to get my muscles worked out. Should I get a massage now, or should I just go, you know, uh, do something else? So someone will always say to me, Rabbi, spoil yourself, treat yourself. You know, but that's this whole concept of if it feels good, it's right. If it feels good, it's right. But that's not true. Sometimes doing what's right feels good, and sometimes it's not wrong to do something that feels good. Getting a massage, nothing's wrong with it. But just because it feels good doesn't mean it's right. Sometimes things feel good and it's really wrong and destroys things. Sometimes it feels good, can get someone in jail, can destroy a marriage. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it's right. So we're back to ground zero. And our society is pounding us. Millions, probably billions of dollars of media based on go consume. Consume. It feels good. feels good, do it. Billions of media, and it wasn't like before. Now you got television, movies, internet, billboards. It's everywhere. Just saying, consume. It feels good. Do it. If it feels good, do it. To the point where morality, anywhere near what the Torah says is right and wrong, has been completely destroyed in Western Civ today. No one has. No one's anywhere near. In regular secular Western Civ today, no one's anywhere near the Torah's criteria for behavior. If it feels good, do it. So the problem is, and in conclusion, the problem is, is when you do what feels good, right? If it feels good, do it. When you do it, well, you got to remember, what's the conflict? What's the war? The soul voice says, you bastard. How dare you do that? How could you have done that? Meaning, I don't care how much society tells you that if it's okay to do whatever you want, you still have that voice that says you did the wrong thing. It's still there. You cannot keep it down. You can't keep the soul voice down. I don't care if your parents promised you it's okay to do that. When you do it, you feel badly. And those negative emotions need dealing with. And no philosophy, whether it's Darwinist or Christian or any philosophy, really will do the trick to make someone feel good when they've breached their soul, the voice of the soul. So the last and final and most controversial thing, I've already said several controversial things, and could be they'll can this video, but the last and most controversial thing is when there's negative emotions happening over a long period of time, consistent negative emotions, because of behavior of if it feels good, do it, back to that whole war against the conscience. Negative emotions, consistent negative emotions over time, most doctors will say to you, I think what you need is Prozac or some other medication. I mean, we all know it ourselves. When, we, when that voice comes up, have we blown it. Most of us want to get a beer. We want to medicate with alcohol or maybe a little overeating. That'll knock us out. 
uh, maybe a little shopping, a uh, little extreme sports, something to knock us out. But we go knock ourselves out, and today they have people, uh, massive amounts of people. I think 200 million. How many people are in the Amer- U.S.? 300 million. 300 I think they had 200 million prescriptions uh, being filled with some kind of uh, another. There was two, something like that. I just read this 200 million uh, prescriptions being filled that had something to do with feeling okay. So it could be we got the answer, by the way, today. Meaning maybe we finally could win the war against the conscience with, uh, with different kinds of medications and make us feel better about it. But you know what? I say, let's just do the right thing. Have you ever noticed how you feel when you're having that little battle, that conflict between doing the wrong thing, the body voice, and doing the right thing? You ever notice that when you choose the right thing, you feel great? You notice that, Lucas? When you do the right thing, how do you feel? Great. You feel great. Well, guess what? If you just spend one hour doing the right thing, guess how you feel? Great for one hour. What if you do that for the second hour of the day and the third hour of the day? What if you lived in a community of people who do the right thing? I do. I live in a community and people just do the right thing. I mean, I'm sure there's people who make mistakes and we all make mistakes, but in general, our community, the holy group of people doing the right thing, we all feel pretty good. There's very little medication going on in our community. There are a couple of people medicated, but they have uh, uh, what's called um, uh, chemical imbalances. I mean, they're like people genetically have major issues. Chemical imbalance, they're medicated. We don't have like people just being medicated. And I'm sure there's some stressed out woman with 14 kids in our neighborhood who just, just uh, maybe she wasn't raised in such an environment and now she's losing her mind. And with 14 kids, I wouldn't be surprised if she's on something, you know, just to survive. But it's not because of bad behavior. It's not because she's dealing with, you know, some kind of side, side thing she's got going on that's making her feel bad about herself, you know. And it's, she's just trying to cope. I'm sure there's such a lady in our neighborhood. But, um, you understand, when you do the right thing, you feel great. When you listen to your soul voice, you feel great. Don't fall into the Western definition of freedom of do whatever you want whenever you want to do it. That is not a Jewish definition of freedom. That's the definition of God. God does whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. We, on the other hand, are his creation. He gave criteria for behavior. When you follow the criteria, you feel amazing. When you ignore the criteria, you feel lousy. Admit it. And when you feel lousy, Judaism says... Do teshuva. It doesn't mean get a prescription. It means do teshuva. You're feeling those negative feelings? Do teshuva, the four steps of teshuva. Stop doing it. Say you did it. Express regret for having done it. And commit to the future. You're not a prophet. You don't know what the future will bring. But at least until the future brings a test, at least now you feel at peace. You're at one with your soul voice. You're not in conflict. You are living in consonance, in harmony with your soul. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.